we're in this series, as you can see, called Love Is, where we've just been talking about for the last four weeks. We've been looking at this passage that you may be familiar with called 1 Corinthians 13. And the Apostle Paul writes about this love in this chapter, right? He writes all about this love. And we've been walking through it. And even if this is your first time in church, even if you're not, uh, if you haven't grown up in church and stuff like that, you've probably heard this, this passage before, right? Have you guys seen, have you guys seen A Walk to Remember? Was that a yes? Was that a yes? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this, this is a tattoo I saw of someone who got a quote from Walk to Remember. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love is jealous. I don't know what body part this is, by the way. But they got this whole Corinthians 13 at the end. Instead of saying 1 Corinthians 13, they said Nicholas Sparks, a walk to remember. Like you, you may be familiar with the phrase, even if you don't know that it's from the Bible. You may have heard this phrase before. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It keeps no record of wrong. And so what we've been saying as we've been walking through this passage is that this love that it's describing is the, the, the word agape love was the word in the original text. It was a agape love, a self sacrificing love. And this list, this tattoo, is not a checklist on just love like this and everything will go smooth. This list describes Jesus, describes the way in which God loves us. And what Dan said is that we want to be crushed underneath the weight of this type of love, right? That God loves us in this way that forgives all things, that is patient in all things, is completely about the other. It's an agape love. And so today we're just going to finish this conversation, right? We're just going to wrap up this conversation, look at the last section of this um, passage. And today, if I'm just being honest, today's simple. Today's simple, but we're going to kind of be all over the place a little bit. So if you've ever had a conversation with me, that's usually how it goes. It's usually how it goes. It's simple, but we're going to be all over the place. But I think there's so much power in this today. We'll throw the the passage up on the screen, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, through just a little first piece of verse 8 there. It says, love always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And today, can we just use the word timeless to describe this love? Can we just use that word? I'll throw it out a lot. Timeless. That if you look at this, this, this love that always protects, it always trusts, it's always persevering, always hopeful, it doesn't fail. It sounds just like a timeless love, right? That word timeless means it's not affected by the passage of time or the changes in fashion, but it's timeless. You think of timeless songs like I Can't Help Falling in Love with You. You think of timeless songs like My Girl, timeless songs like Stand By Me, Thank You Next by Ariana Grande. That joke didn't land in the other service either. It didn't land. I thought it would, it didn't. It's okay. It's okay. But we're drawn to these classic timeless things, right? We're drawn to them because there's this sense of familiarity, there's a sense of security, there's this this sense of absolute consistency, right? And I think our hearts long for that, right? Especially when it comes to being loved. That we long for consistent, absolute, unchanging love. If you've been around us, uh, hanging out here at all, uh, especially if you've done a wedding with us, a thing that we read a lot is a quote by a guy named Tim Keller in regards to how we want this consistent love. He says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, right? But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's a lot like being loved by God. And this timeless love is a love that's consistent and it's absolute and it's always there. And that's the love that, that's the way we want to be loved, right? But like I said, this passage isn't a checklist that you just need to always protect, always trust, always just do that. Just do that. That's not what it is, but this is the way in which God loves us. And I think this whole passage just hinges on two little words that are so simple, but I think they're so profound. I know there's no blanks uh, in, in, the, in the notes today, but it's just one big blank page, so you can write down these two words if you want. But there's two words that change this entire passage, and it's the words always 
and never, right? That this is the way in which God loves us. This is a love that it's described to me as that. It's a love that always protects. A love that always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. This love never fails. It's timeless. It's unchanging. It's constant, right? But the problem is that we as people, we as humans, we like we aren't very constant, right? We aren't very stable. We don't always or never do the same things, right? We're flaky. We change a lot. We change all the time. I, I'm at the gas station. Is anybody else like me? Anybody else just can't make up their minds? And you're at the gas station, you got $2. And so you're like, this $2 has to go a long way. This is an important $2. And so you get your Reese cup, because I'm not going to get an apple at the gas station. I don't know why they have bananas there, like they're trying to make people feel better. No, I'm going to get my Reese cup, and I'm going to get in line, and I'm going to stand the whole time I'm in line. I'm like, I don't know if I want this Reese cup. I don't, I don't know. And you get closer, and you get nervous. And then I almost get to the register. I'm like, no, this isn't it. I'm going to get a Kit Kat instead. And you get back in line, and the whole time, you're like, I think this is the right decision. I'm not sure. We'll find out. And you get in the car, and as soon as you shut the car door, you're like, I should have got a Reese cup. It's wrong decision. Like that, we, we humans change all the time. Our cultural values change. What we think is beautiful changes. Our opinion on things change depending upon who we talk to. We change all the time, right? And so this love that is always and never, that is timeless and constant and absolute and unchangeable can only come from a source that is absolute, that is unchangeable, and that is constant. And as we're talking about this love that comes from God, this characteristic of God for the sake of this conversation today, this is a $500 word. This is the smartest I'll sound all year, but it's the word immutable. God's immutability, right? It means that God cannot change. It's unchanging over time or unable to be changed. It's a character of God that we see all through scripture that he's unchangeable, right? He's unchangeable. He's immutable. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Who does not change? like shifting shadows. And this is the story we see all through scriptures. It's God who does not change. There's a couple quotes I want to throw up by a guy named A.W. Tozer, who I believe is buried in Ellet. He's this great theologian. He's buried in Ellet. That's awesome. But these are just a couple quotes I want to throw up that I know sometimes you throw up a quote and it kind of sounds like white noise, but just kind of dial in with me. This is so good. And I think he explains this concept of God's immutable, unchangeable uh, nature. God cannot change for the better. Since he is perfectly holy, he has never been less holy than he is now and can never be holier than he is and always has been. Neither can God change for the worse. Any deterioration within the unspeakably holy nature of God is impossible. Indeed, I believe it is impossible to even think of such a thing. For the moment we attempt to do so, the object about which we are thinking is no longer God, but something else and someone less than he the one of whom we are thinking may be a great and awesome creature, but because he is a creature, he cannot be the self-existent creator, right? I know it's a big quote, but I think there's so much power there. And he also says this, same guy, the immutability of God appears in its most perfect beauty when viewed against the mutability, the changeability of men. In God, no change is possible, but in men, change is impossible to escape. Neither the man is fixed, I love this, nor his world. But he and it are in constant flux. Each man appears for a little while to laugh and weep, to work and play, and then to go to make room for those who shall follow him in the never-ending cycle. That we as humans change all the time, right? But God does not change. God doesn't change. But if we're going to be honest in this room this morning, oftentimes it feels like God changes a lot, right? 
Like you may be walking through one season of life one year and you, you feel like you hear God and you feel like you're walking with him. It feels like everything's clicking and there's a different season of life and you're like, this feels like God isn't here. This feels different than God did last summer, you know? Or you read a certain passage in the Bible and you're like, well, that, that's peculiar to say it lightly. That, that sounds like a different God, right? That sometimes, sometimes it feels like God's changing a little bit, but I think it's interesting what Tozer says is God's immutability next to our constant change, changing. Sometimes I wonder if we're the ones that change and God isn't the one that changes. I think this may be a crude analogy, but I think about this as, as almost the sun, right? That the sun is this giant, what does Puma say? It's a big ball of gas. That the sun is not going to move. The sun is this holy thing that's not going to move, right? And we on earth kind of revolve around the sun, right? That we see night and we see day and morning and evening and winter, and that seems really long. And we, and we, we see these changes, right? But the sun doesn't move. We change around the sun. Now, I know there's like an astrophysicist here this morning who's like, well, actually, the sun does move at 2 million miles per hour. For this this analogy, hypothetical scientists, just walk with us. The sun doesn't move and we revolve around the sun. I think about that maybe if we just, just for the sake of this conversation today, you don't have to agree with me at all. But that maybe we are the ones that change and as our culture and as our opinions and all those things change, maybe God's the one who doesn't move. And so in light of this aspect of God's character, in light of this always and never nature of his timeless love, I just want to have a conversation today that, that my prayer for us as a church is that, that we might understand and experience this, this tidal wave of God's love that we may export what we, what we uh, experience, right? We say that all the time, but that's my, my prayer for us today. What Paul says in Ephesians 3, he says he prays for the church. He says, I pray that you might understand the depths and widths, and heights, and breadths, the greatness of God's love, and that it may go from just mere knowledge. We need to know about it. We're going to talk about that. My prayer is that it might go from knowledge to experience, and that's my prayer for us as a church today, that we might just, looking at this passage, look at some of these snapshots of the way in which God loves us, that it may flow out of us. And so I want to throw up this. There's a version of the Bible called the Amplified Version of the Bible. And so the original Greek and Hebrew uh, had a lot more words than we have in our language. Like, for example, we're talking about love. There was four different words that we use the word love for. There was four different words. And so the Amplified uses, it's it's a paraphrase that uses a lot of different English words to describe the Greek and Hebrew. You guys awake with me still? I know that sounded really, really college boring. Here, Here we go. I love the way it says this. It says, love bears all things, regardless of what comes. It believes all things, looking for the best in each one. It hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times. It endures all things without weakening. When I think about this, I almost think about this as this God is carrying us, right? There's this perseverance, this during, this steadfast during difficult times, this enduring without weakening. There's this carrying, right? That I was a, I was a middle school camp counselor once. Once. Just once did I do this. That was, that was plenty. You people who work with middle schoolers, I think Joel's an angel. He's wonderful. It's awesome. But I, I did it one year, and we were hiking in Mohican. We were out in the mountains of Mohican with a bunch of middle schoolers. I know, I, it was as bad as it sounds. But we were out there, and there was a fellow with us. His name was Brandon. And Brandon was a, a taller, larger fellow, and he got hurt all the time. All the time. There's always one kid in the youth group who's like, He's going to get hurt. Let's just, let's just factor in the medical bills to the budget for the youth trip because Brandon's going to break an ankle. And we're hiking in the middle of Mohican, and Brandon's with us. And Brandon, sure enough, we are two miles into this hike, and Brandon, I broke my ankle. I broke. Like, he probably didn't. Brandon didn't break his ankle, but he was saying he broke his ankle. And there was another guy on the trip with us. His name was Jimmy. 
I remember it like it was yesterday. It was like 12 years ago. Jimmy was this tall, and Jimmy was from Southeast Asia, and Jimmy was awesome. He was like in the military in Southeast Asia. He had like a boot knife. He was making like chicken nuggets out of tree moss. Like he was doing all kinds of stuff. And, and we're out there, and, and Brandon, my leg's broken. And I specifically remember it because I wasn't with him. And I looked back, and Jimmy is carrying Brandon on him. He's carrying him on this too. I don't even think the kid got hurt. He just wanted attention, but he was carrying him on his back. And I think it's such a picture of this love that bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, endures all things. We can say it this way, but the timeless love of God always carries me. The timeless love of God always carries me. I just picture this picture of of Jimmy carrying Brandon. And there's this, I don't know, does anybody know this poem, The Footprints in the Sand? You guys heard this before? Perfect. Okay. You're not going to like me in a minute, but that's fine. But there's this, there's this Christian poem that I've just heard over the years. This isn't the Bible. This is a poem. And I think it's profound. It reminds me of this, but I think there's a little more to it. This is what it says. One night, this isn't the Bible. This is just a poem. Just so we're on the same page. One night, a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand, and he noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered the man, and he questioned the Lord about it. He said, Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints in the sand. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, again, this isn't the Bible, this is just a poem. The Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was I that carried you. I think that's such a good poem, right? It's such a good writing. In the, in the troublesome times of our lives where it feels like God didn't show up, he is carrying us. But I think there's more to this nice little poem than that. Because what I believe is that in the troublesome times, yes, of course he carries us. But I believe that in the deserts, in the joy, in the doubts, in the confusion from the start to the end, there's only ever been one set of footprints in the sand. It's always been God that carries us, that this entire thing, this entire relationship with God thing that we sing and talk about every week, it all hinges on a God who made his way to us, on a God that moved towards us, that a God who carries us, because our relationship with him hinges on a cross where his Love was poured out for us. Look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. This, this was a prophecy that was written thousands of years ago pointing towards Jesus. This was before Jesus came. He was talking about what was going to come. He said, yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And a couple thousands later, after Jesus had came and died, Peter writes this, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you 
are healed. Our relationship with God is rooted and hinged on Jesus carrying our sins, our failures, and our weaknesses, that Jesus bore the darkest parts of our lives on the cross. The pain we cause, the sorrow we cause, the sorrow that has been inflicted on us, our words, our browser history, our rebellion, our anger, our selfishness, our hate, that on the cross, Jesus removes it from the equation that we might be able to stand before God who created all things, stand before God whose standard of perfection has never changed, and he looks at us and calls us sons and daughters because Jesus has bore our sins on the cross. If this whole thing that we're talking about, if this whole thing that we're talking about hinges on that, hinges on a God who has carried us at our darkest, I think we can just say that there's only ever been one pair of footprints in the sand, and it's always been God who's carrying us. Philippians 1.6 says that I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. That in his love, in this tidal wave, in this giant wave of God's love, he always carries us. He doesn't abandon us in the good, in the bad, in the silence, and in the sorrow, when we win, when we lose from start to finish. His love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same love this morning. I love verse 8. We hear this all the time. We sing about it all the time. You got probably got it on a plaque in your living room that his love never fails. That his love never fails, right? That's verse 8, the first part of verse 8, that God's love never fails. Now, here's, here's the truth. I don't, know, I don't know if you grew up in church or not. I don't know if, like, you're new to this whole thing. I don't, I don't know. I grew up in church. I'm a church kid, all right? I grew up in church my whole life. And there's always, there's always these phrases, and I think it's true whether you grew up in church or not, you hear these vague phrases, right? That God loves you. God's never going to leave you. God's going to make everything. There's just these phrases, right, that we just hear, and some of them have so much power, so much truth, but we just hear these phrases. They're stuck on bumper stickers. They're on little pictures in the living room, and they're great, but they lose their power. It's why we're having this whole conversation, because the love of God just sounds like a nice day. But what we want to do is look at the power of this. I'm a, I'm a kid that grew up in church, and I heard these phrases all the time. And this is, this is what I think. I think I, this is true for myself as I've just walked through my 28 short years, but I think that if our understanding of God's love if our understanding of God's love is just this kind of vague, amorphous thing, right? We're like, yeah, he loves us, and he's cool, and he's, that's nice, it's great. It's, it's not going to show up in reality. If it's vague in the ether, it's going to be vague in our reality, right? That's, that's been my experience. That I'm like, yeah, you know, I heard all these phrases growing up, about God loves me, but I feel like he's left. Or I know he never fails, but it, feel, it feels like he failed. We're just being honest, right? And what I just want to do for a second is I just want to pop the hood on the car and I want to just take a look at the inside real fast to see maybe a, just a certain way of which God lo- God's love works, right? I just want to look at a way that maybe his love operates, how this whole thing is put together in just a small piece of this giant puzzle that is the story of God. That this, this, this little stuff is, is something that for me, that as I grew up and I have my questions and I have my doubts and walk through seasons of where I'm not completely sure of everything, that I always go back to, man, this, this beautiful story of the gospel. The Bible is not a book of tips and tricks. Read it like that. Open to Leviticus. Tell me how it works. Tell me how it goes. 
But the story of the Bible is this story of God's redemptive plan, and he works in these ways, and these pictures are drawn and fulfilled in Jesus in ways that you're like, you can't make that stuff up. And through my questions, through my doubts, through my uncertainties, that always draws me back that, you know, I'm not sure about A, B, C, D, and E, but man, this story of the gospel makes so much sense. And so today, just for a couple minutes here, I promise, I just want you guys to go with me, all right? That we, we know his love never fails. And I just want to help look under the hood that this would go from a vague, his love never fails, to like, no, no, really, his love never fails. So is that cool? You guys walk with me for just like 10 minutes? Is that cool? If any of you fall asleep, I swear. I swear I'm watching you. I'm just kidding. Okay, so here we go. So Genesis 12. Genesis is like the first book of the Bible. Every time you go Old Testament, people are like, wake me up in 10 minutes. Just wake me up. Just go with me. Genesis 12. God comes to a guy named Abraham. God calls Abraham for no good reason other than he calls Abraham. And Abraham is the father of this nation of Israel, right? The whole Old Testament is all about Israel and about their relationship with God and them just screwing up and screwing up and screwing up and God continually coming after them, right? That's the story of the Old Testament and it eventually points to Jesus. This, the story is going to point to Jesus. But, but God interacts with Abraham in a unique way. This whole story begins with Abraham. And in Genesis 12, this is what happens. We'll throw it up on the screen. God makes a promise or a covenant. If you're not familiar with that word, we'll come back to it. The word covenant not a word we use very often, but God makes this covenant with Abraham. And this is what he says. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And right here, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That this descendant will come from Abraham and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through this descendant that's going to come. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. But let's just go back. But all people's the best. This is this promise that God makes, this covenant that God makes with this guy named Abraham that through his line is going to come a descendant that's going to bless all people. Now, just keep walking with me. I told you, we're talking, about, we're talking about how his love never fails, and we're going to just kind of walk this path and come back to that, okay? So, so God makes this covenant with Abraham here in Genesis 12. Now, what, what's a covenant? What the heck's a covenant? We don't use that. We don't make covenants with our used car dealership. We're like, well, let's just have a nice covenant, and then I'll take this Taurus off your hands. Like, that's not how things work, right? But you can think of this covenant as this strong promise or contract or binding agreement, right? That there were blessings and there were curses associated with the covenant. Guys still with me? It's the uh, blessings and curses associated with this covenant. And so at this time, this is a couple thousand years ago, sometimes we read the Old Testament. We're like, why is everything so weird? It was thousands of years ago. But this is how this covenant would work, right? So say there'd be a sovereign uh, nation. There'd be a, a ruler of a sovereign nation. There'd be a local smaller ruler, right? And this, they would make a covenant together. They'd make a, a contract. They'd make a promise. They'd make a covenant together that this larger sovereign nation would, the, the blessings that he would supply uh, security and uh, a blessing, and, and he'd be part of this greater nation, that he'd have security, that he'd have blessing, that he would be a part of this greater nation. And this smaller ruler of the, of the local area would, would be part of that. They would say, yes, I will be part of your nation, right? That there'd be blessings, that if I stay part with you, if I stay part of you, we're going to have this relationship, and I'll have protection underneath of you. But if I go to other nations, if I break this covenant and go hang out with other nations and become part of them, there'll be judgment, there'll be curses, right? So there's these blessings and curses, and they would, make, they would shake hands on it, right? But they wouldn't shake hands. They wouldn't sign the dotted line. What they would do to kind of, this was a culture that was a storytelling culture, 
That's how they communicated was through stories. And so what they would do was they would bring a sacrifice of animals, they would chop up the animals, and they would walk through them together. That's not weird. That's not weird. That's totally normal. Just me and my real estate agent are like, yep, let's just do this here real fast. And oh, the house is yours. We're going to close in a month. That's not how things work now, right? But what they were doing through the storytelling culture that by chopping up this, this animal and the two parties walking through it together, just keep walking with me. Walk, it's going to come full circle, I promise. By walking through, what they were saying was that if we break this promise, if we break this, may this be what happens to me. May this be a story, may this be a representation of what happens to me if I break this covenant, right? You guys still with me? So we go, to, we go a couple chapters later to Genesis 15. Abraham's an old dude. He's like, I don't, I don't know if this kid thing's gonna happen, God. This is, should've picked a younger fella. And God takes Abraham out of his tent. He says, look at the stars in the sky. Your descendants will number, outnumber the stars in the sky, right? And they're gonna make this covenant. They're gonna shake on it. Like this is what's coming. And so Abraham goes and gets the sacrifices. He's chopping it up. Abraham, this would be weird. This would be weird to Abraham. It's a little weird to us. But you know what? We post things on Facebook all day about our opinions, and they probably would think that's weird. But he's chopping up the sacrifice, and Abraham knows what's happening. He's like, okay, so me and God are going to kind of make this covenant together, because God made all kinds of covenants with his people in the Old Testament. You can read all about it. Lots of different covenants. But this specific one was special. This specific one points directly to Jesus. And so this covenant, as Abraham is diced up the meat, they're getting ready to shake on it. You can read it for yourselves, Genesis 15. Abraham falls into a deep darkness. The darkness comes over him and he falls asleep, right? And it's, it's strange, but it's so powerful. What it says is that this torch, this flame, it's a little strange, passes through the sacrifice by itself. Don't miss this. I know, I know it's different, but don't miss this. That God puts Abraham to sleep. And in this promise that all people will be blessed, that this descendant, Jesus will come in this promise. He puts Abraham to sleep and God makes the covenant single-handedly with himself that God doesn't make this great covenant with Abraham. He makes the promise with himself that Abraham and his descendants, eventually us that put our faith in Jesus, all people will reap the blessing of his promise. And who will absorb the curses if someone breaks something? Who's gonna absorb the curses? Jesus absorbed the curses at the cross because this covenant, this promise God made, the creator of all things who sustains life and who created the universe, God the Father made a promise with the sustainer of all life who created the universe, God the Father. And he makes this promise with himself that we might reap the blessings while Jesus absorbs the curse. Now look at this, Hebrews 6. This is, this is awesome stuff. I know it's a different context, but Hebrews 6. This is thousands of years later. Paul, well, we're not sure who's writing Hebrews, but this is what they're writing. They say, when God made his promise to Abraham, look at this, this is all in light of God's unchangeable and mutable qualities. Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear, very absolute, unchangeable to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. We'll jump to the next verse here real fast. It says this, Hebrews 6. So God did this so that by how many? By two unchangeable things. God made the promise with himself by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Why? Because we have a hope that is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. God's love doesn't fail because God's love is not dependent on you. 
He put us to sleep and he fulfilled the promise himself. That God made this promise with himself that we might reap the benefits of it. That if you think you blew it, if you think you just went too far this time and now I got to avoid God for a week because I feel guilty. Do you, do you get how great this story is, how great this promise is? You can't make this stuff up. That Jesus would absorb the curses and that we might reap the blessings. It's not rooted in how you're holding up your end of the bargain. That God's love is timeless, it's unchanging, it's unfailing. Why? Because God, because he is timeless, unchanging, and unfailing. Amen, brother. And the promise of his love, it starts and ends with God, right? God's love does not let go. We change. This painful world constantly changes. But God's love does not change. His love endures, right? His love never fails never fails, that his love carries us, his love holds us, and we'll end with this, that the timeless love of God is a simple, it never lets us go. The timeless love of God never lets us go. In this passage, this love chapter, usually it cuts off before this point, but 1 Corinthians 13, a couple verses down past the section we've been in, it says this, 12 through 13. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. That as we walk this earth, we only see as a reflection in a mirror. I would stay clear of someone who's like, I have every answer to every question ever. I would be like, yeah, yeah, Paul said we see only in the reflection. Like there's certain, in this earth, there's certain answers, there's certain questions that will never be answered apart from being made full with Jesus, right? But Paul says, for now we see only as a reflection as in a mirror. But then, when with Jesus, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And this is what he says. And now, and now these three things remain. You probably heard this before, possibly. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Which makes me ask, why, why is love the greatest? Faith and hope seem pretty important to this whole thing, right? Think about this. Walk with me here. I think, I think that, that faith, look at faith. Paul says we live by faith. He said it right here, right? We live by faith. We walk by faith. We put faith in this whole beautiful orchestrated story of God's story of the gospel. That from beginning to end, God is working this plan of redemption. And we, we put our faith in the story that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus has carried our sins on the cross. That we have a relationship with God the creator because of Christ. Like, we put our faith in that, right? But someday we're not going to need faith. Paul says right now we see like a mirror, like a reflection, but someday we will see fully just as we're fully known. Faith will cease someday because we won't need faith anymore because we'll see Jesus face to face, right? That, that hope, I don't think we're going to need hope forever because right now we walk through this messed up world. Very, that doesn't take very long to see. And as we walk through this, we have this hope that is outside of our present situation, right? As we groan and we struggle through this life, we have this hope that is outside of this situation. But someday I don't think we're going to need hope. I don't think we're going to need a hope because I think we're going to have a reality, right? I think we're going to have a reality when we're present with Jesus. But the greatest of these is love. Because love will never end. That God and the foundations of the earth created the world in love and he sustains and walks and pursues us in love. 
And that I think for all eternity that we'll be present with Jesus wrapped in his love. I love Psalm 136. It just has this list of things. It says a statement and says his love endures forever. Makes a statement and says his love endures forever. This whole long psalm, you can read it later. But verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His love endures forever. Verse 23, He remembered us in our, in his, in our lowest state. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Uh, Dan, Dan said this. I, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. But last week we... Uh, lost a, a good friend, especially to this service, our, our friend Michelle, who would sit right up here. And, and Michelle had a, 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 a disorder, a metabolic disorder that, that caused life to be pretty tough at times medically for her. About 15 years ago, no matter, she, put, she came here and she put her faith in Jesus, right? That she, she walked through this life, she rolled through this life, and she put her, her faith in Jesus, not the answers to everything, but she put her faith in Jesus as she went through this life. She put her hope in Jesus. And there were so many things, so many situations that I, unlike anything I've ever seen, where I'm like, this, what is, God, what are you doing here? What is going on here? Like, I, I don't understand why. Michelle continued to go through these things. But what I believe, and we celebrated her life yesterday, she's easy to celebrate. It's very easy to celebrate. And what I believe is that I don't think Michelle needs faith anymore. She sees by sight what she believed by faith. And at one point in her journey, Michelle lost her vision. She, she literally sees by sight what she's believed by faith. She doesn't need to hope. She doesn't need to hope of these, through these situations anymore because now she has a reality with Jesus. But what I believe is that love that sought Michelle out that love that carried her through things that can't even begin to tell you how much sense they did not make is that love that holds and sustains her forever because his love endures forever. That God's love doesn't max out, it doesn't cap off, it doesn't have a limit, but his love endures. It's a big love, right? Like we're talking about a big thing here. I think sometimes we just think it's too small. And I don't know what you believe about God. I don't know where you're at. I just at least want you to know what we're talking about. It's pretty dang big. Pretty big. I think about, think about this, this passage in, in 1 John 4, 9 through 11. We, we've said this, but what I said at the beginning is we want this to go from just mere knowledge. We want to know it, but we want this knowledge of his love to move into experience. And I think that happens when, when we let it change us, when we let it export through us. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world, that God descended and stepped into our crazy picture, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the, this is the word we use all the time, propitiation, that he sent his Son to carry our sins for us. And I love this, this yellow part. This is, this is just easy math, ladies and gentlemen. That if this tidal wave of God's love, if his love is as big as what he says he is, if it has to do with this whole story from Abraham to us and his promises and it never gives up and it's forgiving and it's patient, this whole thing that, that came as one of us, that took our place. Beloved, if God so loved us, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought love one another. 
It almost sounds like a nice Southern lady. We ought love one another, right? There's so much power. We ought love one another. It's simple math. If this is the way in which we've been loved, we ought export it, right? It just is natural. If God so loved us, we ought love. Now think about this passage of a love that bears all things regardless of what comes, that believes all things, looking for the best in each one, that hopes all things, remains steadfast during difficult times, and endures all things without weakening. If that's the love, if that's the way in which God has loved us, that he carries us, that he doesn't let us go, that his love doesn't fail, then we ought be the ones who are cheering for the marriage that looks like it's going to fail. We ought be in the corner of that marriage, cheering it on, though it looks hopeless, believing the best about him. We ought be the ones that, that continue to walk with people through doubt and questions, even when we feel like we don't have the right answers. We ought be the ones that walk that journey. Why? Because Jesus walked that journey with us. That he persevered with us, just like Jimmy carrying Brandon on his back. He walked with us. We ought be the ones who continue to forgive, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts. Dan talked about this last week. It's not an easy conversation. But we ought forgive as we've been forgiven. We ought not just assume someone else will care for a situation. We ought bear one another's burdens. What Galatians says, we ought feel the pain of their loss, the pain of their infertility, the pain and the, the, the roughness of the job search, the pain of their financial struggle. We ought step in to the mess. Why? Because God became manifest among us and carried us and his love doesn't fail and his love never ends. We ought step into situations that are hopeful or hopeless and believe that God can make messes beautiful. I so often, because I'm a human and I change Minutely, I change all the time. My office is full of plants. There won't be plants there in a month. I don't know why I'm buying so many plants. It's going to change. But I'm a person that changes all the time. And it's embarrassing for me to think about, man, what are the situations that I look at and I'm like, that's going to end soon. Maybe. That I'm going to look at a situation and be like, that person's never going to change. That's never going to happen. I don't... You know what? Quite frankly, I don't think God can do anything with that. Like that is just my first response so often. But when I'm reminded of this love that carries, this love that throws a large kid on his back and carries him through Mohican, this love believes the best, hopes for the best, endures all things. I want to export that love, right? I want that love to flow from me. And it's only going to come from Jesus. I ought love as Jesus is loved, right? Because we say it all the time, I think that's what it means to make Jesus make sense. I think that's what it looks like to bear one another's burden and to walk through the mess with each other. And so just as, as we close, if, if, if you're someone who's part of the church and you call yourself a believer and you're like, yep, that's, that's me, I believe in this whole wild, beautiful story. We ought, Right? We ought to step into the messes, but you're like, you know, I got a busy day Thursday. You, you ought. When we, when we compare it to the measure of God's love, we ought step into that. We ought, and this is a little messy, and I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is. You ought just step in anyways, because the chances are the person really doesn't want the answer. They just want you to love them. You ought just step in. And I challenge you, one of your pastors challenged me that we ought step into those situations. And for those of you that are here, that are hanging out, that maybe you're like, you know what, this is cute and pretty crazy, and that whole thing about the animals diced up was quite extraordinary. 
I'm glad you're here. I truly believe the story of Jesus is the most important thing we could talk about. I'm glad that you're here. And I apologize to the times that it feels like Christians like don't do that at all. That it sounds like the Christians ought just get their lives together because they're all jerks. Like I apologize for the times that I haven't ought loved. That's why we need Jesus. It's why we gather and sing about our reliance on Jesus because we need him, right? It's been so good to go through the series together. And our prayer as one of your pastors is that collectively we would just go from just a mere knowledge from an amorphous, vague love and that it might look under the hood and see the mechanics and let it change our hearts. Let us export what we've imported through the, the overwhelming love of God. Can we pray together? God, we're just thankful for the way in which you love us. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for the the radical, wild, beautiful story of your love that doesn't always make sense to us. Jesus, we're thankful that you persevere with us, that you hope the best in us, that you believe the best in us. We're thankful that you carry us. Jesus, we're thankful that your love does not fail. Jesus, we change If I'm being honest, it doesn't feel like things always make sense in the whys and hows, but Jesus, help us to believe your unfailing love and the the measure of your promise towards us that's fulfilled in Christ. I pray for maybe those in the room today that feel like they just, they're, they're struggling to get a grasp and they feel like they're unlovable by you because of things that exist in their hearts, even for things they don't talk about, things they don't acknowledge, things that are dwelling deep inside of them that they're like, this whole thing's cool, but I couldn't interact with a God like that because of what's inside me. God, I pray that just the length and the magnitude of your love would overwhelm them today. God, I pray for those of us that it just, as we walk through the week as we go through the grind that your love just seems like a vague concept that really doesn't show up in our lives, God. I pray that it would go from knowledge to experience, that we would deeply know Jesus, that it might be able to move into experience, that we might export what you've lavished upon us. We're thankful for your cross. We're thankful for your steadfastness. We're thankful for your agape self-sacrificing love that seeks us out. Because of Christ alone that we pray. Amen.